Hello and welcome. You've discovered the smartest show in the history of the universe. This is the Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan. Thank you for being there as we take a tour all around the galaxies, the known universe, to discover those science secrets that are lurking nearby, lurking in hidden andrometers and undiscovered nebulas. We'll find a lot. This week, we'll talk to someone from Ukraine. Now, you might know there's a devastating war going on there right now. And amazingly, our guest this week has won a prize for some brand new technology he has made which can help his home country. So, also want to spray paint on the location of the landmine. So, Miltru will know not only the virtual coordinates, but also they will see the exact coordinates on the ground. So, they will see paint and they will know where the landmine is located. And we'll catch up with Amy's aviation. Amy is an airplane genius. This week, she's talking all about different ways they can power the plane. It's a farmer's field. What's this got to do with aircraft? Well, it's all about biofuels. And I've got your questions. As always, this week they are on stinging nettles and black holes. So we're covering everything in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's start with this week's science in the news. An old train could point to a new future. An old diesel train in Canada is being remade to work on a mix of hydrogen and battery power. Now, it does small tasks like taking wood and animal feed uh, between bases, between farms. And if these journeys can be done in a way that's better for the environment, then that is brilliant. We know that uh, big companies need to help out with climate change. But if us uh, and if smaller companies can do little things just to help the planet, that goes a really long way. Also, talking about the climate crisis, the UK's Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, said he won't go to COP27, the worldwide climate meeting, but now he's gone. He's gone over to Egypt. He will use it to say that climate change can be a mission for new jobs. And if that makes new jobs with clean energy, it's looking towards the future. I guess everyone is happy. Another brilliant idea. And finally, uh, this is quite disturbing, water treatment sites in the UK where they clean wastewater and try and reuse it has found some rather shocking things. They have found phones, driving licences and dentures in sewage. These things have been flushed down the toilet and all that waste weighs the same as 1,000 African elephants. It's a brilliant reminder that you only need to flush down the loo the three P's. P, paper, and poo. Stick to that. Nothing else, and you can really help out. We've got a new series on the show this week. You know, in every episode, we hear from some of our science genius friends. They tell us about everything, about your body, about airplanes, about energy, about bacteria. This week, we're starting a series with Curious Kate. Kate is very curious. All about electricity about energy. She asks the big questions about how things work. This time it's about electricity itself. When you think about it, you know, we can't see it. We can't smell it. What actually is it? Let's find out. Brilliant. My brother Tom's home. 
I've got the science homework to do about electricity, which is actually pretty interesting before you start. But I've got a couple of questions, and Tom is the person to answer them. He's doing this fancy science degree at uni, you see. Tom. Yes. What do you want? Why do you always assume I want something? Because you always want something. <laughs> that's true, but that's what big brothers are there for. Go on then. Thanks. I've got this homework to do about electricity. We're learning about conductors of electricity and all sorts. But I was just thinking on my way home from school, what actually is electricity? I mean, we use it all the time, but we can't see it or smell it. It just zaps through some wires and makes things turn on, like the microwave. Excellent. My baked beans are done. Hey, can、mm. you stop thinking about your stomach for a minute and help me out? Uh oh. Uh yeah. Uh, sorry. That's a good question, actually. According to the books, <clears throat> electricity is the flow of electrons through a conducting material, like the ones you were learning about, from a negative electrode to a positive electrode. It sounds quite complicated, but really all it is is just electrodes bumping into each other to make an electrical current. Cool, kind of like an electric party with all those electrodes dancing into each other. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but it's a nice thought. So, when electricity was first discovered, what did they think it was? Surely they didn't know about electrodes and the like. Well, even before electricity was commonplace, people were aware of it through lightning and the shocks you could get from electric fish. The ancient Egyptians called these thunderers of the Nile. Cool, right? Yeah. So lightning is electricity too. So could lightning power our home? If only. Lightning is awesome, but we can't harness it. And even if we could, whilst each lightning bolt unleashes 500 million joules of energy, which sounds a lot, but that would only be enough energy to power two houses for one day. Oh. So how do we make enough electricity to use every day? Ah. Well, there was this British guy called Michael Faraday who, in the 1830s, discovered a way to convert electricity into a mechanical energy that machines could use. He found that if he pushed a magnet into a coil of wire, it produced what he called a wave of electricity. Electricity today is still made in the same way, but using huge coils and enormous magnets. And that's done at those power stations. Yep, they produce power for electrical appliances at your school, mum's hospital, and here at home, like our microwave. But as well as those power stations that produce electricity using coal and gas, there's a growing interest in creating electricity using renewable energy, like water and the sun. Which reminds me, my beans. All right, then let's answer your questions on the show. It's my favourite part of the podcast, where you send in your science questions. Uh, for me to look up, for me to do the digging, I become like a science detective, figuring out what's going on for you. The easiest way for you to get involved, for you to star in the show, by the way, is to send your question over as a voice note on the Fun Kids app. Let's see who we got this week. Hi, my name's Finian. I live in Pontypridd. I'm seven, and my question is: Why do stinging nettles sting? Thank you, Finian. Brilliant name. Even better question. A stinging nettle's sting is to help them against predators, like all forms of life. Stinging nettles want to stay alive and make more of themselves, pass their genes down. If an animal is going to eat them, doesn't help out with that. So they need some protection. Now they're covered in little hairs, and when you touch them, they act like tiny needles. They brush and slightly pierce your skin with a few different things. They've got histamine, acetylchlorine, tartaric, and oxalic acid all in there. They make a mixture 
of different acids and proteins and toxins. This gets dangerous. It causes part of your body to itch and scratch. Uh, now, we've heard about this before on the show. When your body knows there are threat, there is a threat in there, uh, it reacts to fight it. It sends blood to the area that's affected, that's at risk, and that makes you itch. It makes it bumpy, and that's what's happening when you're stung by a nettle, Finian. Thank you for Hello, the question. Let's see what else we got. My question is, how do we know about black holes if we have never been close? Thank to you so much for this. It's, it's a brilliant question. So, what is on the other side of the black hole? Well, we don't officially know. The problem is, they're not really a hole. They're a huge mass of gravity. A black hole is something so strong that it sucks everything nearby straight into it. They are the result of a star, a massive star that's imploded in on itself. It sucks all that gravity in and it just needs to keep pulling. That's why they're black, because not even light can escape. And scientists don't think there's anything on the other side. It's just a big, swirling vortex of gravity, really. So if you jumped into it, you would get squashed right down into more of the black hole. You'd become something they call a singularity, one tiny fixed point right in the middle. So there's nothing experts think on the other side of a black hole. Well, at least nothing that we know of yet. Problem is we can't get close enough to find out because we would be sucked inside. Thank you for the question. If you've got something sciencey that you want answered on this podcast next week, you need to leave it as a voice note on the free Fun Kids app or on our website, funkidslive.com. I'll hear it and say hello. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, this week, we've got just a fantastic story with a brilliant invention that I'd love to tell you about. Uh, We're chatting to a 17-year-old Ukrainian who is currently studying. His name is Igor Klemenko, and he joins us now. Igor, thank you for being there. Hello, it's a pleasure for me to speak to you today. Now, you have won something pretty phenomenal. It's the Chegg.org Global Student Prize for 2022. This is very prestigious and you made something incredibly useful. Um, just tell us what it is. So I'm extremely happy that this year I had the opportunity to win this award and be a part of community of the Chegg.org Global Student Prize. And I invited, I created a drone protecting the landmines, so it's named quadcopter mine detector. And the idea came to me in 2014. At that time, I was only nine years old, and I heard about hostilities in the border of my country in Ukraine. And I started thinking, how can I help my people? And I came up with the idea that I can create a solution, I can create innovation for the military to save their lives. In 2020, I came up with the idea that I can use drones for detecting the landmines. And after that, I started working. I have created two prototypes. I have received two patents in Ukraine. And now I'm working with my team from Ukraine, from different European countries, from Canada, to create the third prototype to provide military. So I hope the Ukrainian military, after that military across the world, will use this device to save their lives. Now, as you said, this first came to you in 2014. Um, and within the last year, the Russian invasion of your country, Ukraine, has really become well known all across the world. How much did that change how you were thinking about your invention? Uh, so it was really hard time for me because after 24th of February, my mom came, uh, came into my room and told me, in Ukraine, we heard rockets, we heard, heard explosions. So now we need to go to the village. We moved to the countryside, about 40 kilometers from Kiev, and I was living in the basement with more eight people. 
So it was really hard for me to concentrate. Also, I heard a lot of stories from my friends who work, who are living in occupied cities. I had been teaching students for two years, and one of my students was in Kherson. It is a city which, which was occupied. So it was really hard for me to focus on the development of my device. But after three weeks, I realized that I shouldn't stop. I should go ahead because my people are fighting in for my country. So we started volunteering with my family and I started work, working actively on development of my device. So it was really hard because a lot of people were in military, people were fighting, fighting in for Ukraine, also scientists, uh, researchers, they also were fighting in. So, but I tried to contact with military, tried to contact with programmers from Ukraine, from different European countries to develop faster this device because I knew that it can save hundreds, even thousands of humans' lives. So when you had uh, fled your home village and you were living out in the country, as you said, almost in a bunker with many, many other people, how were you working on your drone? What were you using? Were you using software on the computer? Were you drawing it out on paper? Were you building prototypes? What was happening there, Igor? So it was hard for me to continue development of my drone in the laboratory because... Uh, all the laboratories in Ukraine, in Kyiv, were closed, so we moved to the countryside. And mostly I was working with my laptop. I was improving the algorithm, improving the codes that I have created for detecting the landminers. Also, I was trying to find contacts of people who can help me, military who can give me input what they want to see in this device. Also, I contacted with a lot of programmers, scientists, to get pieces of advice that can be extremely useful for me in my development. Also, I spoke with my supervisor, but he was in Ukrainian military, so we spoke not often, but he also tried to help me. So mostly I was working with my laptop and I was trying to find opportunities to present this device uh, to Ukrainian people, present this device on the, to the people around the world to find co-founders, to find uh, funding, because it was extremely relevant that time. Now, this seems something to be very much needed, your quadcopter mines detector, because spotting landmines is one of the most dangerous jobs there is, because, well, very simply, if you get too close to them on the floor, they might go off. So being able to spot them from the sky is a fantastic idea. Tell us how it works, Igor. How does your drone know that a landmine is in the ground meters below it where it's flying? So we used drone uh, implemented with the metal detectors. So the drone is moving along the trajectory and scanning the territory. After the drone detects the landmine, it's providing signal to the user, to the Arduino board, which I used. So Arduino board is receiving the signal and the code which I have created on the C++ language is starting calculating the exact coordinates of the landminers. So also he created an algorithm to create not, give not only coordinates, but also to provide people with a mock-up map. So military are provided with a mock-up map, put it on a satellite photo. Also, they know exact coordinates of the landminers, and they know the, all positions of the explosive objects on the scanned territory. So now we are working on con developing this device. We want to create the source prototype with using artificial intelligence. So we want not only give the coordinates and the mock-up map, but also we want to provide military with the exact type of the landmine, and the exact way of removal, of safety removal, because it's extremely necessary for military to know which landmine can be removed by the usual methods, which landmine should be removed by robots, which landmine should be removed remotely, because they're extremely dangerous and tricky landmine that's located in Ukraine and in the world. 
So also want to spray paint on the location of the landmine. So Miltrude will know not only the virtual coordinates, but also they will see the exact coordinates on the ground. So they will see paint and they will know where the landmine is located. I mean, it's a fantastic idea. So these mines are buried in the land so that people might step on them and then they explode. But your drone flies above. It uses a metal detector. It tags them. It spray paints them to let people know exactly where they are. Now, you have got this idea and you're making a prototype. How easily can this be made around the world so um, governments can use it to find where landmines are. You've got this idea. Can it be built quite simply by lots of different people, Igor? So now my goal is to make this more affordable, to make poor countries get it, to make any countries which are suffering from the landmining problem, just make them to have opportunity to receive these devices. So now we are working on the sort of prototype to make it much easier to use and much cheaper. So approximately it can take us for one, from one year to two years to create this minimum available product, to create this prototype, get certification and start mass production in Ukraine. And after that, start mass production in the world. So I think it can be affordable. So it's my goal to just give opportunity to all the countries that are suffering from the land miners, and there are more than 60 countries which are suffering from this problem, to get this drone, to get this device, to save the most valuable things that we have, human lives. Now, in the first, uh, in the first few months, rather, of the Russian invasion, um, you taught online maths and physics. You helped students from your country get scholarships to some of the world's best universities. You, you, uh, your uh, quadcopter mines detector was chosen from, what, 7,000 nominations and applications from all over the world. And by winning, you've won $100,000, Igor. I mean, it, it's a lot of money. It can go a long way. What are you planning to do with it? Do you know? Um, yes. So I'm extremely happy that I had the opportunity to win the Czech.org Global Student Prize because, because it is amazing platform. So first thing that I'm happy, uh, I inspired a lot of Ukrainian people. And it, it was my one of the, my goals to just make the motivation of my people high, make, the, make them happy because these days it is extremely relevant to fight on the all fields, not only on the borders of Ukraine, but also to just uh, win competitions for my people because it can just inspire them. It was my goal. And after winning, a lot of people wrote to me, so, wow, Igor, you inspired me. You motivated me to go ahead to continue studying. So it was my goal. But also I received um, money. And I think it's a big, the amazing funding for the drone because I want to spend most part of my money on this device because I think that my mission in life is to finish creating of the quadcopter mines detector to provide military to save their lives and start creating the second prototype to detect to not only detect the land miners but also to remove them to avoid using human factor while the mining process at all. So it is my mission in life. So that's why I want to spend most part of the money on this device. I mean, that's an incredible thing to do, to make a drone that not only finds these landmines, but tries to remove them too. It's been an honour to talk to you. Thank you so much, Igor Klemenko. Thank you for joining us today. It's time for this week's Dangerous Down, where we look at the most mean, cruel and wicked things in the universe. This week, we're looking into the strange, spicy world of spices. 
The Scoville scale is what is used to measure how hot chilli peppers are. The hottest on there, measuring a record-breaking 2,200,000 Scoville units, is the Carolina Reaper. It's the hottest in the world, made by a pepper grower called Ed Curie. It's also called the HB22B pepper. I think we'll carry on with the Carolina Reaper. It's much more deadly. Uh, it was made by mixing the chili DNA of a Naga chili and the red habanero type, which you might have heard of before. It's from the West Indies. Now, it's bred in South Carolina. It can grow to over four foot tall, which might even be taller than you. And it looks like something tremendously evil, with scrawny, withering skin that looks like it needs water. Which is what will happen if you'll eat it. You'll need loads of water to try and quench the fire in your mouth. Scientists who made this flavour say it's fruity. I mean, can you imagine that? All that heat. I mean, you won't taste anything except from a volcano, so I don't know why it needs to be fruity. Actually... I said that you would need water after eating it, but, you know, water doesn't really help with spicy food. It just makes you salivate, which makes it even spicier. The key when you're eating something hot is milk. It's got a protein in it called casein. It breaks down the capsicin, which is in the chili, which gives it much of the heat. It attracts part of it and washes it away a bit like an oil. So if you do ever eat hot peppers, that's what you need. You need milk. But I would say... Probably try not to eat the hottest pepper in the world, measuring a record-breaking 2,200,000 Scoville units going straight onto our dangerous down list is the Carolina Reaper. Let's check in with Amy's Aviation then. I love this series. I hope you do too. I love learning all about what's happening in the sky, how planes are built, how they're powered, how they take off, how they fly through the air and manage to stay there. This week with Amy, our aviation genius, we're talking about power because planes use up loads of petrol. It's not good for the environment at all. So Amy is talking all about the discoveries people have made to make alternative fuels. There's a recycling truck. Pretty much everyone on our street puts their recycling bin out every week. I reckon it's because most people these days know it makes sense to think about the effect we have on the environment. It's not that hard to make changes so that we use up less of the Earth's resources and make the most of the ones we need. It's like, you probably know, or I bet your mum and dad remind you, that it's better to walk than to use the car all the time. As well as keeping you fit, it means that less petrol is needed. Petrol will run out one day, and the exhaust isn't great for the planet either. Lots of good reasons to stretch your legs. But there are things that use a bit more fuel than your car. Ships, for example. Or what about... Planes! They use huge amounts of aviation fuel to get into the sky. Just like the petrol we use in our cars. Aviation fuel also comes from fossil fuels and its exhaust emissions are just as harmful. There's one other similarity. Aviation fuel will also run out one day. Luckily, there are loads of cool discoveries being made into alternative fuels. So when you think of drilling for fossil fuels, what sounds might you imagine? Maybe something a bit like that. Fossil fuels come from seams deep underground. It takes a lot of work to get them out. The first type of alternative fuel starts life a bit differently. It might sound like this. It's a farmer's field. What's this got to do with aircraft? Well, it's all about biofuels. 
fuels can be made from oils contained in crops like soybeans or canola. There's a common type of biofuel called biodiesel that's already commonly used in cars and trucks. Making it work okay for aircraft is taking a little bit more experimentation. Although some biofuels are in use on some commercial planes. Just think, next time you fly away on holiday, your airplane might be powered with beans. (laughs) Not quite like that. The big advantage of biofuels is that they're renewable. You can grow fields and fields of crops as often as you like. The disadvantage, though, is that you need land to grow the crops, and that land might be better used to grow food to feed us or to keep cattle on. And the emissions... That's the chemicals in the exhaust still aren't great for the planet, even in biofuels. So what else could we use to power planes? What about gases? There are several chemical gases that the Earth is going spare or are easy to make. Some, like hydrogen, ethanol and propane, could be used to power planes. But we don't, or only very rarely. So why not? Hydrogen burns really cleanly, so there aren't the same dirty emissions, so you'd think it would be on top of everyone's list. Well, at the moment, planes just aren't built to run on these fuels, and there's also a funny problem with hydrogen. As it burns, it produces water vapour. What do you get when you have water vapour in the sky? Rain! It's weird to imagine, but that's a real problem with using hydrogen as a fuel. It could actually produce more clouds. You can see it's a tricky problem to solve. All over the place you can see alternative ways of making energy, like solar panels on buildings to windmills. There are even charging points for electric cars in some cities. But aircrafts can't use any of these. Some people think that the way to make a difference is to go back to the drawing board and just design better planes. And quite a bit of work has been done already. Ultra-fuel-efficient engines can cut emissions by a half and planes can go hundreds of miles further before they need to top up. And what's more, they're quieter too. If you live near an airport, that would be pretty helpful, wouldn't it? Noise is a type of pollution too, after all. They're even taking some tips from some very special flying experts. Birds! When you see flocks of birds in flight, you might notice that they are very often in a bee formation. They do this because it saves energy. It takes less effort to fly in the slipstream of something that's in front of you. It's thought that if planes could fly in formation, then they'd use less energy too. It would look pretty cool too, wouldn't it? Looks like the recycling truck is on his way and it's time for me to fly. See you soon and chocks away. We will be back taking to the sky with Amy's Aviation again next week on the podcast. If you've heard the show today and if it's started to make you think about a sciencey question that you need solving, help me do that for you next week on the show. Record it as a voice note, send it on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. If you've enjoyed any of the series you've heard today, we had that new one, Curious Kate, didn't we? You can listen to the full thing on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. We are back next week exploring more of the unknown universe. I will see you then. Make sure you're listening at the same time next week. Wherever you've heard this podcast, bye. Bye.